0: Father, I come before you and uh, am humbled by the task that you have given me to open your word and to present it to your people. Lord, I am uh, unworthy and incapable of this task and ask that you would um, just speak through me, just forgive me of my sins and my pride and my shortcomings. And Lord, I pray that I would be your vessel here this morning May your Holy Spirit just Speak through me into the hearts of your people, and may the name of Jesus Christ be lifted high, uh, not just in our words, but in our hearts as well. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. As many of you know, uh, my family loves to travel, right? The Fergusons, are, we, we love to get out and travel and, and go all around. And, and growing up, we would go on a lot of road trips across the United States, right? And, and dad would always drive, and I always rode shotgun, right? That was my position in the car because I was the navigator. Now, in those days... GPS was not common, right? So we used this thing called a road atlas. Has anybody ever heard of a road atlas? There we go. A little landmark, so you flip through and go state by state, see the different points of interest, right? And this was my job, to hold the road atlas and to navigate us and tell, us, tell Dad where to turn and, and where to go. And ever since then, I have become a map nerd, okay? I'll just admit it. I'll open it right here. Like, I collect maps. If you go to my office, I've got tons of maps that I've just collected from all around the world. I love looking and exploring maps because they have this ability to allow you to explore and understand how one location relates to another, right? But sometimes we can just pick up a map and we struggle to kind of understand its orientation, right? You'll hear people often say, well, hold on, I, I got to get my bearings here with this, right? But once we have that, we can kind of understand where we are and in relation to other things. Let, let's take a look at this Google Earth satellite image, right? Does anybody have any ideas what this is a map of, right? How about I zoom in or zoom out a little bit? We're going to zoom out a little bit. I don't know if you can see that. No? All right. Let's let's try it a little bit different. Let's zoom in this time. Can anybody see that? That that it's a map of our property, right? And kind of zoom in a little bit more. You understand? One more time, what we were actually looking at was out on our park. It was a map of the amphitheater out in the park. Do you see how sometimes we can zoom out, get a little kind of broader context to understand where it fits in, and then we can zoom back in, and then we have a better understanding of where we are and how it relates to other things. In essence, this is what Paul is doing all throughout chapter three of Galatians, You see, by by chapter 2, we have firmly established the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So chapter 3, Paul takes the time to help us get our bearings within the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Remember last week, Pastor Justin zoomed way out. We went all the way back to the Abrahamic Covenant. And understood even then, righteousness came by faith and not by the law. Next week, we're actually gonna zoom forward. We're gonna get our bearings by understanding the future implications of the gospel. But this week, today, we are gonna get our bearings by asking a few clarifying questions. Have you ever done that when you're trying to figure out where you're going? Right, you kind of go, okay, which direction is north? Or maybe you, you pull along, you, you ask somebody, you go, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm on the right road. How long do I stay on this road until I hit the interstate? Right, we ask these clarifying questions. And in these four verses here uh, in the middle of Galatians 3, Paul is asking some questions that he assumes the Galatians kind of have in their mind, so he goes ahead and asks them out loud and answers them so they can kind of get their bearings. Now, mind you, these questions are set within the context of Paul deliberately and explicitly explaining the gospel in ever-increasing detail and clarification. That might be why you feel like we pastors are getting up here just preaching the same sermon over and over through this whole series of Galatians because that's what the book of Galatians is doing, right? Paul is wrestling out the details to make sure the Galatians and we now understand the point of the gospel, that we know it deeply within ourselves so well that it becomes our our atlas. It gives us our bearings in everyday life. And it's also the, the fuel that gets us to where we need to go. Paul wants to make sure the point of the gospel is crystal clear and set in our minds. So, what is the point? I'm so glad you asked that question because that happens to be the title of this morning's sermon. What's the point? What's the point of the gospel? Right, as we look here in Galatians 3, 19 through 22, what is the point of the gospel? Simply, simply, it is that we, the gospel is needed, the gospel is by faith, and the gospel is about Jesus, right? We're gonna explore these through these three as we walk through these questions together to understand that the gospel is needed, it's by faith, and it's about Jesus, okay? Let's begin by looking at the first question there in verse 19 that Paul asks to kind of help us get our bearings here within the gospel and, and understanding the law. What, what is his question? He says, why then the law? Why then the law? If God knew that Jesus was coming, if that was the plan all along, why then the law? Why mess with this law thing? Well, Paul actually lays out a rather straightforward answer to his question. What is his answer? He says, because of transgressions. See that there? It was added because of transgressions. God gave the law to illuminate our sin and our sin nature. Furthermore, the law gives us a a clearer understanding of who God is. Specifically, we see the holiness of our creator. To say it a different way, that God is pure and set apart from humans, his creation. So with this answer to question one, we understand that, that God's plan is deliberate. God's plan is deliberate. Okay, guys? God is not making this up as he goes. There is a purpose to what he is doing. The verse says, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, implying two things about the law, right? First, it's temporary. The law is given to reveal sin until the promise is fulfilled, right? God had put the law in place as a temporary thing until Jesus would come. Secondly, the the second thing that this implies about the law is that it is inferior. Rules help us know how we should live, but it would be just better if we all just lived the right way, if we all just were good, right? Rules and laws are inferior because we were created for something more. We were created for harmony and righteousness with our creator. The promise of the offspring is given after sin entered the human race. So the plan of the law is given until that offspring, Jesus, would come. So the law is inferior to Jesus. Another reason we see its inferior and temporary status is from verse 20, right? Paul adds some clarification about who God is. Just in case the use of an intermediary makes you think that there are multiple gods hatching a plan, and there's like some arbiter just kind of running from party to party, getting all the details together, Paul clarifies, no, 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 there's one God, and he delivers his plan, the law, through Moses, which further illustrates that it's temporary, it's it's inferior until the promises come. So, So the law, with its temporary and inferior status in the course of human history, served the purpose of helping people see their sin. And if you notice, if you look here in the passage, Paul actually doesn't use the word sin. He uses the word transgression, which really gets to the heart of sin, right? Transgression carries with it the understanding of deviation from God's plan, a breach with the true created order from our creator, Our transgression is both evil doing and a treasonous nature. However, all human beings have continually denied this to be true, right? If you you look back to Adam and Eve and after God confronted them about their sin, what was their response? Adam says, the woman you gave me made me do it. And what does Eve say? It was the snake. The snake made me do it, right? We think we are good on our own. We, we think we're, we're a little bit better than we really are, and it's really the influence of others that makes us worse than we are. We think we don't need rules or restrictions that I can do all right on my own. Theologically, we call this antinomianism, It's the way of liberal Christianity that thinks we don't need rules, doctrines, or order. Just love, and that will guide us. And what Paul is saying is that the law was there to reveal and remind that we are sinful. Not simply in the things that we do, but in our makeup, in the the fiber of who we are as human beings. The law was there to say, This is who your holy God is, and this is his standard, and we don't live up to it. We don't want to live up to it. We can't live up to it. The law shows us that we can't live a liberal, antinomian Christian life. We, we need structure, we need guidance. Because Jesus came and died for our sins, we need more. So there was the law, sorry, before Jesus came and died for our sins, we needed more. So so God put the law in place. But now with Christ, that strict law is is abolished, it's completed in Jesus Christ. But there are still Jesus' commands, right? We should still walk by the Spirit, which later on in this letter, Paul's gonna to get to in detail. Chapter five is gonna walk us through that. Let me help you just kind of look at it this way. So a few weeks ago, we were camping down in the Smoky Mountains, okay, near Townsend, Tennessee. And Lewis and I decide to take a walk along the shoreline of a river there. And as you know, a big river, especially down there, there's, there's giant boulders, there's trees with roots that, that kind of jut out into there. And it's really hard at times, you know, to really walk along a shoreline of a river there. Now, Lewis, like any three-year-old, wants to do it on his own, right? He thinks he can do it. But being his father... I know that his legs are not big enough. He doesn't have the strength to be able to do this. But I've also learned it's really hard to convince a three-year-old to do something opposite of what they want to do. Anybody else have experience with this? Yeah, it's really hard. So at first, I just kind of let him go for it, right? Just kind of let him walk along the river all on his own. And he's constantly slipping on the moss-ridden rocks, and, he's, and I'm catching him like, right before he like, falls into the river and floats away. And it's just like, proving to be really, really, really difficult. So I'm like, okay, let's try this. I say, Lewis, can you see Daddy is leaving wet footprints on the rocks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, okay, follow Daddy's footprints. So then what does he do? He's focused, right? And the whole time he's, he's kind of muttering to himself. He's like, follow daddy's footprints. Follow daddy's footprints. And he's trying to step. But guess what? My gait is much longer and harder for, than, than he can do. So what's happening even there? As he's trying to walk along in daddy's footprints, he's still falling. He's still slipping off the edge. And I'm constantly looking behind him, just catching him right before he goes into the river. We're moving along, right? This is what it's like. We are that three-year-old trying to walk in daddy's footprints and just barely falling into the river and he's catching us. Ultimately, we get moving along and we come to this big, big tree that it's gonna require us to walk down into the river through a big pool, and then on the other side are giant boulders we're gonna to have to climb up. So I just decide, what's the better route to go here? I'm just gonna pick them up. And I just walk through the pool, climb up to the bowl, top of the boulders, and then I set them down. And Lewis looks at me and he goes, thank you, Daddy. And afterwards I stopped and I thought to myself that, This is the example that Paul is laying out here, the purpose of the law. It's God saying, you think you can do it on your own. Okay, so here's my footprints. Give it a try. And we constantly fail. We're slipping off the rocks. We're falling in, and he's grabbing us, and he's setting us up, bringing us through. All the while, we're thinking to ourselves, hey, I'm actually doing pretty good at this. Here's the bottom line. As much as we think we can do it on our own or when we think we are doing it, we're still transgressing God. We're we're denying his, his help, the fact that he is our creator. We aren't stepping in his footprints. They're too big for us. And and, and that's where my my illustration begins to to break apart because one day, Lewis will grow big enough to climb that shoreline on his own and walk my grandson along the the shoreline. But guess what? And this is gonna dig at each and every one of us. We never move beyond a three-year-old compared to the greatness of our creator. And that digs at us. That gets to the heart of our ego. We go, oh, I don't like that. No, I'm not a three-year-old. We stomp our foot like a three-year-old. What does the law do for us in this moment? What does that example lay out for us? It helps us see we need the gospel to save us, right? The gospel is needed, God's plan is deliberate to reveal that the gospel is needed. We need the good news of Jesus Christ to save us, to swoop us up in his arms and just carry us through because we are dead in the trespasses of our sins. We are blinded to the things of the Lord. So God deliberately planned out the law to show all of humanity they can't climb on their own, right? They are not good on their own, even though we try time and time again, right? The law is there to show us that if we try and walk on our own, guess what? We're going to fall. And then we're going to create more and more ways to fall but we always fall short of the glory of God. And the law reveals our our sinful nature, our inability to do anything about it. So God, the Son, came as a human, Jesus Christ, and completed the law. He lived it perfectly, and that's not all he did he took the punishment of our sins past, right? He goes all the way back to the sins of Adam and Eve and Abraham, and he takes all that punishment upon himself. Then he takes all the punishment of sins future, yours, mine, and those to come, and then dies paying the price for those sins. Then then he conquers them by rising from the grave. And he victoriously turns to us and says, repent and believe in me and you will have eternal life. Whoa. The gospel is needed. We need the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because when we're left to our own, we fall short. So that's the first question. The first set of bearings. Avoid this ditch to your left, okay? You need the gospel. Stop thinking you can do it on your own, right? We might think you're, you're good without it, but you're wrong. And for generations, God deliberately placed the law there to give us a reminder of this truth. So what about this second question, right? This other ditch over here. Let's look at verse 21 to understand his second clarifying question. He asks, is the law contrary to the promise of God? Is the law contrary to the promise of God? Right, that that seems to be a, a logical question. If we needed someone, Jesus, To come all along, since we are incapable of completing the law, does that mean that the law is is contradictory to the gospel? Paul answers that question as well, right? He says, no. Actually, he he gives it a, a little more unequivocally. He says, certainly not! Exclamation mark. If God's law illuminates our sin and our need for the gospel, well, then it certainly reveals our need for a savior, for Jesus. In other words, just in case when the law illuminated your sinfulness, you thought to yourself, ooh, I could use this law to be able to save myself. Guess what? the law also shows you that you can't be your own savior. It's too hard. The footprints are too far apart. The law isn't contrary to the promise of a savior. It actually reveals your need for it. So with the answer to question two, we understand that God's plan is exact. I love this. I love how thorough, and precise God is with the law, he knew that there would be humans who would try to use the law to save themselves, just like he knew there would be humans who would think they were pretty good all on their own. So his plan not only reveals their need for saving, but also their need for a savior to do that saving. Remember from before the law shows itself to be temporary and inferior. Temporary because it's 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 a bridge. Right? It's a bridge to the permanent thing, Jesus. It's inferior because Jesus is so much superior. So the law, with its temporary inferior status in the course of human history, served the purpose of helping people to see their need for a savior. And if you notice here in the passage, Paul says, if the law could give you life, then righteousness would come from the law. But it can't. Scripture takes everything. The law takes it all and imprisons it under sin. It takes all of our best intentions and attempts and shows them for what they really are. Sin, transgression, falling short of the glory of God. We can't earn our way to God. We can't jump the chasm sin has created. However, all human beings have continually denied that to be true, right? Early on, we built towers thinking we could build our way to God. Religious leaders took the law and added more rules just to show how well they could be like God. We construct religion after religion to create new pathways, sacraments, circles or pillars or whatever to earn our way to God. And even after knowing Jesus, humans try to add things like circumcision or political ideology or five steps to a healthy whatever, fill in the blank. We constantly think that I can do it on my own. I just just need a a set of rules, and if I follow those, I can kind of build off of this relationship with Jesus, and then I can get myself there. Jesus is there just to give me a little boost. We call this theologically legalism. It's the way of legalist Christianity that that thinks all we need is, is some rules, some doctrine, some orders, and that will guide us. Right, Just give me a checklist on how to do this life thing and, and then we can do it from there. Jesus, just thank you for giving me a little boost. I can, I can take it from here. And what Paul is saying is that the law was there to reveal and remind us that we need a savior, not just to get us through the really hard parts or to lend us a hand at the stuff we're, we're not good at or to just help us win at life, But in everything we are, everything we do as human beings, we need a Savior. And the law was there to say this is who your holy God is, and this is His standard, and you don't live up to it, and you can't live up to it. You need a Savior. It shows us that we, we can't live a, a legalistic Christian life. We need the merciful, loving hand of a savior to give us the faith to see him and know him. Right? Before Jesus came and died for our sins, we needed help seeing that we are incompetent to follow this. But now with Jesus, the, the law is abolished, completed by Jesus, who says what? He says, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Walk by the spirit and don't gratify the desires of the flesh. The the gospel gives us spirit-filled character, not law-following morality. We're going to see as we continue on in the book of Galatians, that Paul unpacks these truths more and more to give us this understanding, this bearing of a spirit-filled life. Right? I, I go back to my, my story with, with Lewis on the shoreline of the river. Even after I let him try on his own, he failed. Then when I pointed out the, my footprints and, and how hard it was, he still tried to follow the footprints. It wasn't until after... He tried and failed, and then I just picked him up, carried him through, got on the other side. Does he look at me and say, thank you, Daddy? Does he realize he couldn't do it? He needed me. Here's the bottom line. As much as we think we can do it on our own, we can't. No matter how much we even realize our need for the gospel, we will always be a three-year-old compared to the greatness of our creator. We need a savior. Which means the gospel is by faith. The gospel is by faith. God's plan is exact in its revelation that the gospel is by faith. Nothing we do is by faith. We need the good news of Jesus Christ to swoop us up in his arms because we are dead in the trespasses of our sins. We are blinded to the things of the Lord. So God deliberately planned out the law to show all of humanity that they can't climb their way up to God. God. Even though we try time and time again, right, the law is there to show us that if we try and walk on our own, we're gonna fall. And we're gonna create more and more ways to fall, but we're gonna continually fall short the glory of God. The law reveals our sinful nature, our inability to do anything about it. So God the Son came as a human, Jesus Christ, he completed the law. He lived it perfectly. He conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And he victoriously turns to us and gives to those who believe in him by faith his righteousness. He imputes his law following onto us. He ascribes to us his legitimacy. He, acc- he credits our account with what he Has earned. Then we humans have the gumption to say, Nah, I'm good. I think I can do it on my own. I I think I can earn this one. I can follow the law. I'm legitimate. I can earn my moral, ethical standing before God. So what does Jesus do? He just swoops in and carries us through the deep waters, (laughs) over the boulders of our arrogance. Do you listen to the verse there? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What these two questions do is they they give us our bearings to see that there are two ditches on either side of the road. The road is life under the gospel of Jesus Christ, It is a life that is walking by the Holy Spirit, not walking by rules or the lack of rules. It is spirit-filled character, not lacking in character or character-making of our own. Both are ditches. Both miss the point that God's plan can be trusted. God's plan is trustworthy. Do you need that reminder here this morning? You can trust God. What he says, what he lays out for us can be trusted. He's good. He's faithful. He can be trusted. Furthermore, both sides miss the point that the gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus looking forward. We delight in the gospel because we delight in Jesus. The road of life we walk is a walk by the Holy Spirit with our eyes on Jesus. Do you remember that moment when Jesus calls Peter to step out of the boat and walk on water to him? Right? Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Peter, you've got this, you can do this all on your own. Come on, buddy, go for it. Nor does Jesus say, hey, Peter, here you go. Here are the five steps to effective walking on water. What does he say? Keep your eyes on me. Walk to me. Keep your eyes on me. Jesus gave us another great example of of these two ditches in the Gospel of Luke. Right in chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, we find the, um, the parable of the prodigal son is what we commonly call it because it, where the primary focus of the story is that younger brother. But don't forget, there's an older brother in the story as well. Right? You have the younger brother, the prodigal, He's well known because he wants to be free from the father's work and rules and he just wants to live life by his own rules. Just get out there on his own. But he wants his father's money. That's all he cares about from that relationship. And near the end of the story, when the younger younger brother comes to the end of his liberal antinomian living, he just wants to be with his dad Right? He says, I don't care, I'll be a servant. I just wanna have a relationship with my father. But don't forget the other brother. And if you remember, when seeing the way that the father treats the younger brother, how he receives him, he gets angry. And he tells his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command yet yeah, you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate with my friends the other brother the older brother is focused on what he can do to get out of the relationship with the father by following the rules of the father but all he wants is the father's money as well all he wants is to go have a good time with his friends which isn't too much different than the motivation of the younger brother, right? Do you, do you see the two ditches on either side of the road? The focus on living by our, our own rules has no regard for the relationship with the father. The focus on living only by the rules also has no regard for the relationship with the father. So here's what, what commonly happens in our life as we're walking through this, Okay. We become so focused on not following the rules. I don't want to be a legalist. I don't want to follow the rules. I don't want to be like that type of person. We're focused there. We find ourselves over here in this ditch, in the liberal antinomian way of living, right? Avoiding rules, slipping away from holiness. We compare ourselves only against those restrictive separationalists. We think, well, it's a good thing I know the freedom in Christ, or I might end up like a self-righteous person like them. Guess what? That ditch, a liberal, antinomian Christian life, misses the point. It misses the point of the gospel. Our eyes shouldn't be over there on what we're not. It should be on Jesus and who he is. Now, on the other hand, we can compare ourselves to those who are permissive of all and inclusive without discernment and we think oh i can't ever live and we find ourselves slipping over here into a legalistic graceless christian life because all we're doing is focused on not being that person and not fixing our eyes on Jesus right we become so concerned with the rules and perceived holiness but guess what we we miss The point there as well. The gospel is about Jesus and what he has done, not us and what we can do. Don't get me wrong, biblically speaking, both ditches are not the way of gospel living. The gospel compels us to live a holy, set apart life. Right? 1 Thessalonians 4:3 could not be any clearer for this is the will of God, your holiness. But on the other hand, Romans 10:2 through 4 says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Stop staring at people stuck in ditches. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's a a comical way to think of this. Anybody remember learning to drive? I remember one day my mom takes me out. She's in the passenger seat. I'm in the driver's seat. She's very brave. Right? And we're driving along the road and she says, Watch out for the cars. Watch out for the cars on the left. Watch out for the cars on the left. So I'm watching the cars on the left. Guess what I start doing? Then she's going, I'm reading the mail. I'm reading the mail. Get over. Get over. You're going to hit the mailbox. Okay. Uh-huh. Look out for those cars. Look out for those cars. Da-da-da. And all you're doing is, if you're focused on one side or the other, you're going to drift into that lane. But if you focus down the center of the road, look to where you're going. You have, you, you're aware of those things. You have your bearings. But you fix your eyes on Jesus. There's a pastor over in southern Illinois. His name's Brian Chapel. He, he wrote a book that has just been a tremendous blessing in my life. It's called Unlimited Grace. We have it for sale in our bookstore. And in it, he says, the legalist and the liberals differ on what behaviors are best, but not on the premise that our behaviors are our bridge to God. Christianity is never a balance between these competing moral political perspectives. Christianity cannot be found on any spectrum of beliefs where our behavior is the basis of our relationship with God. The Bible teaches that our relationship with God is established by faith in what Jesus has done. His grace alone, not our goodness at all, is what establishes God's love for us. So what's the point? The law helps us get our bearings. It reminds us that unchecked, we will transgress God. And it is deliberate to remind us all that we need the gospel. The law reminds us that we will try to do this on our own only to fail and it's exact in reminding us that gospel's by faith not by what we're doing and the law reminds us that God knows what he is doing God is good he is trustworthy and the gospel is about him it's about Jesus So as we turn to communion here this morning, maybe you need to use the words of Galatians to do some zooming in and out on your life. Get your bearings. Are you stuck in a ditch? I don't know your heart or where you are, but the Holy Spirit does. And I I know from experience that I need constant reminders to get my eyes off of myself and back on Jesus. So as we take communion, this is a time for those who have repented and believed in Jesus as Savior by faith. And if you don't know Jesus, may this be your opportunity to call out to God this morning of your need for saving and your need for a Savior. Do you have any questions about that? I'm free. There's others that are available. If you know Jesus as your Savior, use this time, use this week to do some zooming in and out, to ask some clarifying questions about your heart's motivation, to understand where you are on this road. What ditch are you in or what ditch are you about to fall into? Cry out to Jesus and ask him for help to keep your eyes fixed on him. That you might live for him and walk by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, I know my heart is, you've done a work in my heart this week. And just seeing my tendencies to just get focused on those in another ditch and I find myself in the opposite. And then I just turn around and and find myself in the other ditch. I'm I'm just hopping back and forth and just losing sight that the gospel's about you, Jesus. And I can't do this on my own. I can only walk by the Spirit. I, I need you to just swoop me up carry me Lord I pray that you would do your work in your people's hearts here this morning Lord I I don't know what you want to do in each individual's life and heart but I see your word and as, as I've studied it and dove deep here Lord I feel you doing a work in my heart and I pray that you would do the same in others